Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, kids, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Oh, better far to live and die under the brave black flag I fly than play a sanctimonious part with a pirate head and a pirate heart. <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. So today we are going to talk about something that has made the news recently as of the recording of this podcast. Of course, we don't know exactly when it's going to publish, so it might be old news by then. But the uh, the Stop Online Piracy Act, or SOPA. Yes. Act. We had a few, quite a few people asking us if we were going to talk about that. And um, as a matter of fact, initially we were thinking that maybe not, because um, sometimes when Jonathan talks about these topics, he gets a little... I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. There's a vein in my head that threatens to explode every time I talk about this type of okay. stuff. And, so. and much as much as I like pushing him to the limit in that regard, I don't want to see what happens if it actually finally does. Yeah, and I've also given up caffeine the week that we're recording this podcast. So <laughs> that's a, you know, I'm already a little edgy. I'm, I'm predisposed to being cranky. Uh, but SOPA, Stop Online Piracy Act, it, it's made a lot of news because, um, 
well, because there are some potential uh, consequences that that may not be intended consequences, but people are worried this act may go a long way to breaking the internet. That's kind of like the extreme view, right? Yeah. Yeah. So look, we're going to talk about what this act is, what it's supposed to target, and uh, and reasons why some people are worried that it may uh, be really bad news for even for people who have no intention to pirate content or to distribute pirated content. Uh, and uh, and yeah, that's that's its purpose essentially is to uh, cut down on acts of uh, intellectual property. Pi- piracy over the internet. And it's specifically targeting piracy that's generated from uh, from entities outside the jurisdiction of the United States. Mm-hmm. That's the main that's the main goal of this legislation. Uh, if you don't read the act, you might not realize exactly how it's targeting this. Uh, let me read the purpose of this act. This is actually the purpose, and it, it was introduced by House Judiciary Committee Chairman Lamar Smith, who is a uh, Texas... Uh, uh, Republican. Re- yeah, Republican from Texas. Well, I mean, he's from Texas. Of course he's Republican. Uh, that's, a, that's a joke. That's a joke. Okay. Uh, Texas is, however, thought of often as a conservative state. Right. And uh, he introduces, and I should add, this has bipartisan support. Yes. So even though I say Republican and I made some jokes there, there are people on both sides of the aisle supporting this legislation. So mm-hmm. I don't mean to say that this is a Republican uh, cause versus a Democrat cause. In fact, there are several people who are on the very conservative side of the aisle who are very much opposed to this legislation. Yes. So I want to make that clear. This is not I – was, I was making a joke. Don't want to take sides here. Yeah, that, that's uh, one of the funny things about this particular um, proposed legislation is that it has bipartisan support and bipartisan uh, opposition. Yes, exactly. As well. So the purpose of it is to promote prosperity, creativity, entrepreneurship and innovation by combating the theft of U.S. property and for other purpose. Uh, so here's the the stick. The, th- the sticking point here is that the, the the legislation is at least supposed to promote prosperity, mm-hmm. but the people who oppose it say that it does exactly the opposite, that it's going to stifle innovation and it's going to stifle entrepreneurship. And it's uh, really just a, a love letter served up to copyright holders and intellectual property owners. So organizations like the, the Motion Picture Association of America. Mm-hmm. Um, so – uh, that would be a big one, or uh, the Recording Industry Association of America. That's another big one. So you, you've got these these big uh, organizations that have a very strong vested interest in um, in in maintaining copyright and pursuing actions against copyright infringement. And there and there's a limited amount that you can do if the the person or entity that is violating your copyright is not within the jurisdiction of the United States. Mm-hmm. So if there's someone in China who has a, has a, a server farm that is just holding copies of various movies on it for people to download either for free or for a very low fee, uh, there's not a whole lot you can do as the copyright holder to stop that because mm-hmm. it's over in China. What are you going to, you know, I mean, you can bring it up and try and put some pressure on, on, uh, the, the, the whole situation, but you don't have a whole, you don't have a, a stick to hold, right? You don't right. have any threat. So this is meant to be uh, an act that gives 
copyright holders a little bit re- of recourse when this sort of stuff happens. Um, and the, it's similar to – this is a House bill, but it's similar to one that was introduced in the Senate uh, uh Earlier this year, called the Protect IP Bill, yes, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, uh, actually put on hold for a while by Senator Ron Wyden, who was concerned that the bill in the uh, the Senate would potentially muzzle people, and that it would uh, it would hamper free speech, and that he felt that it was ultimately unconstitutional, and so he's been he's been holding back on it so that it hasn't it it passed out of the committee but it hasn't been voted on by the senate itself mm-hmm, at least as the recording of this podcast and just in case you're thinking oh protect ip that's simple no protect ip is also an acronym it uh, stands for preventing real online threats to economic creativity and theft of intellectual property protect ip uh, and it's essentially a rewrite of an earlier piece of legislation called combating online infringement and counterfeits act or Koika, which failed to pass in 2010. You know why? Why is that? Because it didn't have a snazzy acronym that you could pronounce. All right. Koika just doesn't doesn't help. This was actually said. Uh, here's what Wyden had to say on May 26, 2011, about Protect IP. He said, I understand and agree with the goal of the legislation to protect intellectual property and combat commerce and counterfeit goods, but I am not willing to muzzle speech and stifle innovation and economic growth to achieve this objective. At the expense of legitimate commerce, PIPA's prescription takes an overreaching approach to policing the Internet when a more balanced and targeted approach would be more effective. The collateral damage of this approach is speech, innovation, and the very integrity of the Internet. So that's pretty interesting to hear a uh, uh, a politician say that we hear that from people who are uh, big players in technology. Uh, mm-hmm. We hear that from people like Eric Schmidt from Google has said similar things to this sort of legislation. And a lot of these companies have also been involved in the forming of this legislation in, a, in an attempt to head off any potential problems, because a lot of these companies, they recognize the problems that copyright holders face. Mm hmm. And we should make that clear, too. The complaint that the copyright holders have that their work is being stolen and distributed freely with no way for them to to make money from their the sale of their property or distribution of their property, that is a legitimate problem. Yes. Uh, piracy is a problem. How big a problem it is, that is up for debate. Yeah. Now, the justification that Various politicians and, and organizations have used to formulate this legislation states that uh, there's an estimate here of, of how much money was lost per year due to intellectual property theft and counterfeiting, which is one hundred and thirty five billion dollars in revenue. I don't know how they came up with that number because the the government accounting office just earlier this year, released a report that said it's essentially impossible to put a figure on the loss from piracy because there's just not – you don't have all the facts straight. Well, Jonathan and I have had this discussion before. Yeah. Um, And this is one of the the oldest – I would say it's one of the oldest arguments in the software industry Mm -hmm. Um, because people talk about um, the old standby in this conversation is – well, it's Adobe Photoshop. Mm-hmm. It's an expensive piece of software, mm-hmm. and it's gotten more expensive over time. And people are known, and then there are many pieces of software like this, um, you know, where it is an extremely useful tool, but 
the average person doesn't want to go and spend, you know, six hundred, eight hundred, a thousand, twelve hundred dollars for a piece of creativity software. They they don't have that in their budget. It's expensive. In some cases, it's it's as expensive as a computer itself, or yeah. more expensive than right. a computer, depending on the machine you're using. Um, and the thing is, they say, well, you know what? If it had been priced within my uh, price range. I would have bought it, but instead they jacked up the cost of the software so much that it was out of my price range. I couldn't afford it, so it serves them right that I downloaded an illegal copy of it and I'm, and I'm using it. Um, on the other hand, the company that produces this software um, will say, well, you know what? We wouldn't have to jack up the price of the software so much if people wouldn't stop stealing it. We're trying to make our revenue. We're trying to provide value for our shareholders, and we mm-hmm. can't do that. If we're not selling copies of our software, and if we can't sell as many copies of our software at that price, we're going to have to raise the price a hundred dollars. Right. And and the thing is, Jonathan and I think, uh, you know, we've talked about it several times, but I think both of us sort of see um, this as a situation that you can't really tell. I mean, the thing is, would the people who are downloading illegal copies of the software? Really pay for it if it were seventy five dollars, or would they go? Yeah, you know, I really don't want to pay the seventy five dollars either. Yeah, the the way SOPA defines the value of something is they say the total retail value may be shown by evidence of the total retail price that persons receiving the reproductions, distributions, or public performances constitu- uh, constituting sorry the offense would have paid to receive such reproductions, distributions, or public performances lawfully. So in other words. This this applies to all sorts of stuff, not just software. So let's say that you go to a site that has um, lots of uh, movies mm-hmm. on it, like movies that are available for you to watch via streaming, and it's an illegal movie site. Right. And you watch it. Essentially, they would say that the total retail value for that experience would be the cost of a movie ticket multiplied by however many people stream that film. Right. So the the argument is that the the copyright holder is is robbed of that much money now that's where the problem comes in because there's a counter argument that states some of these people would never have paid to see the movie period they never would have bothered to to buy the ticket so in other words the the copyright holder would not have received that money whether the people pirated it or not mm-hmm. right because that that's that's not a ticket sale so uh, that was an argument that came up um, a lot when uh, X-Men's, X-Men Origins Wolverine came out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if everyone uh, listening knows this, but there was a big deal. When X-Men Origins Wolverine was getting closer and closer to distribution, that is, it was going to be in theaters. Before it got to theaters, it, there was a, a leaked release of the film that hit the Internet. Right. And there were various pirate sites that hosted the file so that people could access it and watch the movie. Ahoy there. And a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. A lot of people did that. And there were not very many, many ticket sales for the film. Like the essentially Wolverine bombed. It mm-hmm. it, Bombed might be a harsh term, but it did not perform as well as as the the uh, the company had expected. Right, and so there's a, a question: is the is the pirated version to blame for the lack of ticket sales, or would the people who pirated that version would they have not bothered to go see the movie in the first place? Which means that the movie would have bombed anyway. Mm-hmm. 
And you can't answer that question. And that was the, the government accounting office's point when they released the report. They said there's no way to answer this question. So there is no way to give an actual monetary value to the losses that a, a, a group or an industry might encounter as a result of piracy. And if there's no way that you can put a figure to that, then you can't justify uh, so you can't justify some of the punishments that are meted out mm-hmm. by uh, the by by the government against people who violate the copyright laws. Uh, you can't justify the 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 intensity of those punishments based on these figures because the figures are based on nothing. There's mm-hmm. not there's no basis for it. So you end up having people punished uh, with ridiculous fines or potentially years in jail for things that uh, the, the whole justification for the punishment is is based on on voodoo numbers, like these numbers that don't really mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the truth is probably somewhere in between yes. all of these things. Like if the if the company reduces the price of its product, you know, by X number of dollars and um, the the person who uh, is actually, you know, going to purchase the product you know, it, they do actually have the money to do that, then I think some of them will pony up the money for the software or the yeah. CD or the movie ticket. But, and I think it's somewhere in between. Some of the people are still going to pirate and some of the company's profits are still not going to be realized. So some, it would affect some, but it's no, there's really, as Jonathan said, no way to tell exactly how many, it's not going to be 100%. Yeah, the, there's an issue of greed here. That is affecting every player in this, in this scenario. Well, sure. Right? So yeah. there's, there's the greed on the part of the consumer mm-hmm. who feels that he or she has the right to access some content. What, no matter what its price point or its, or its availability in that per- person's market. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> you've got a sense of entitlement on the, on the part of the consumer, yeah. which is bad. You know, there's, there's nothing that entitles a consumer to someone else's intellectual property. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you aren't entitled to that, but there's this perception of entitlement. Right. That if it's out there, I should have access to it. And if, uh, if the thing that's blocking my access is that it's too expensive, then I should just be able to take it. Uh, this is a weird kind of justification that goes on in a person's mind. But then you also have the, the greed on the part of the copyright owners. Right. Where they want to see every single penny come in from every instance that their product is viewed or consumed or whatever, uh, even if there's no evidence to suggest that those that that even if there was no piracy, that the, that money would be pouring in. Mm-hmm. So they want dollars that just don't exist. Um, yeah, this is this is a complicated issue. Now, let's talk about what SOPA actually does. Yeah, I was going to say, because SOPA is not necessarily an act that is going to uh impose punitive monetary damages these uh the actions that are taken uh will actually be quite different for the um, most part for the I most mean, part there there are some some uh, things further in the act about streaming video mm-hmm. and, uh, or streaming streaming content or allowing content to be accessible that you know you don't own the copyright to there are some uh, elements that are uh, added into the language toward the end of the act and most of it has to do with things like housing 
motion pictures on a on a site, that kind of stuff. But again, it's it's taking aim at foreign sites because, of course, if it's a company that's overseas, uh, it's outside of the jurisdiction of the United States government. So how do you target these sites? Well, you do it by cutting off access and cutting off uh, financial support. Mm-hmm. That's what this this act really does. And it gives a lot of power, and I mean a lot of power, to the copyright holders, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons why people are up in arms about this. So in general – what happens is, let's say that you are uh, the head of a corporation, a vast corporation has lots and lots of intellectual property, mm-hmm. and you discover that there is some site hosted in China, let's say, mm-hmm. that is uh, as that's got uh, either duplicates of your product or is uh, uh, pirated copies of your product out and available for people to download uh, for a small fee. So. They're undercutting you illegally mm-hmm. and they're selling your content for less than what you sell it for right. and, you're, and you feel your sales are suffering as a result. What you could do is you could target ISPs, right. internet service providers in the United States and tell them, hey, the site over there is – they're, they're uh, violating my, my intellectual property uh, rights and I need you to remove this site – from your donate, domain name server so that no one can access it from the United States. Mm-hmm. And it's very specific. It's for U.S. directed sites. So in other words, you're cutting off the pathway to get to that website. Mm-hmm. It will, you know, you, you, if you were to type in the address in, in your browser, it wouldn't recognize it as a valid address because it would be removed from the donate, domain name servers in the U.S., which some people argue breaks the internet because it means that the, the uh, servers are not going to be identical across the globe. You're going to have servers in some places that will have uh, those those domain names in them and will have them mapped to the proper IP address. But in the United States, they won't because some copyright holder has come to the ISPs and said, we need you to take this down. Under SOPA, the ISP has five days to respond mm-hmm. to that to that request before the copyright owner can then pursue legal action. Like actually get the courts involved. So in other words, the um, copyright holder can threaten in a way, threaten the ISPs with legal action if they don't remove access to that domain name. Right. Um, and furthermore, the ISPs, if they if they comply with the copyright holder's actions or request or demand, really, uh, they are immune from. Uh, legal recourse. So in other words, you as a user, if you rely on going to a certain site and that site is removed, like there's no way for you to access it from the United States without doing a song and dance routine, um, there's no easy way to access that. You have no legal recourse. You can't sue the, the ISP. You can't sue the copyright holder because uh, this act builds that protection in for those entities. So that is also something that people who oppose the act are very much up in arms about. They say, well, if a copyright holder comes up to an ISP and makes this demand and uh, the demand doesn't have a whole lot of, of real foundation and fact to it, but the ISP goes ahead and acts on it, there's no way to you know easily reverse that. Yeah, right now, uh, sites like ISPs have – what they call safe harbor, 
which means that if you are using, you know, really fast DSL.net services to get to a site that has copyright infringement on it, uh, or they're hosting, uh, the servers there, you know, it's not the ISP's fault. They're not required to police the content of the internet. It's kind of like they can't be they can't be held responsible for what somebody else has on their servers. Yeah, it's kind of like owning a building, and someone in that building commits a crime. It's yeah. not the building owner's fault. Yeah, that the crime was committed in the building. Yeah, but this changes that. Well, sort of changes that in that they they can come up to the building owner and say, "You have to evict the tenant." Yeah, and change all the locks. And change the locks. And they can't come back in. Yep. Um, and and it, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. And you if can't that, say no. And if changing the lock means you change the lock on a hallway and anyone else who lives in that hallway also can't get to their homes, Ding. oh well. Yes. That's another problem in that we're talking about removing an entire do- domain name. It may affect other sites that or other web pages that have nothing to do with piracy, have nothing, yep. no intellectual property is being violated, no counterfeitings going on. And those those pages will be affected too, yeah. so that's really that's another point that the people who oppose this act say. You know, if you do this, there are going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of uh, friendly fire, a lot of casualties in the internet landscape, and it breaks. That's where the breaking the internet thing comes in. Yeah, many of the companies that have spoken out, and there are quite a few of them who mm-hmm. have uh, expressed um, more than a little discomfort. With the idea of SOPA going through, uh, many of them have said, look, you know, we're, we're going to be, uh, affected by this in an extremely negative way. I mean, we're talking, we're talking about large companies like Google, Facebook, um, you know, all sorts of places. Well, you think about it. You have something like how, how many people, uh, we, when we did the episode on YouTube, you said how much video was uploaded. Uh, every minute, forty-eight hours. Forty-eight hours of video every minute. Yeah. Can you imagine the number of people that would have to examine all that video to make sure it doesn't have any kind of copyright violation? Right now, now YouTube is known for complying with copyright infringement uh, requests from companies that own the property. And They'll uh, say, "Hey, you're using this. This person posted a video with our music in it." Please remove the music and the, and people will wonder why this video has no sound. It's because YouTube has gone in, stripped the sound out and left the video up. Right. And, and under the DMCA, that's where YouTube has safe harbor, just yeah. like you were saying before with the ISPs. YouTube also has safe harbor for user generated content. And I should add, uh, well, two things really. First of all, when a copyright holder issues such an order to an ISP or other entity, I'll talk about the other entities in a second. Mm-hmm. But when it does, it has to do so with proof. You can't just send a message to an ISP and say, hey, you gotta take down access to this site, uh, cause it violates our intellectual property rights. No, you have to actually submit proof, uh, evidence of, of the violation. And according to the act, and the, the and the language is a little vague, but according to the act, it's supposed to target uh, sites that are th- – the main purpose of the site is to distribute uh, pirated content or counterfeit goods. Right. Uh, th- so, it sh- so it's not supposed to target sites like YouTube or even a message board where the primary purpose of the site is for something else. But it just so happens that some people use it to distribute pirated content. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, 
this act does not target those sites. It's supposed to aim at sites like uh, like the Pirate Bay, let's say. Mm-hmm. That would be a good example. So you talk about you know aiming taking aim at sites that have, by their very name, <laughs> uh, come out and said, hey, we're about distributing content freely and uh, uh, despite any copyright uh, concerns. So that that's also something to keep in mind. Um, so in other words, I don't want, I don't want to spread too much fear, uncertainty and doubt, the good old FUD out there, because the act does have language built into it so that it doesn't, it's not blanketing the entire internet landscape in the same light. It's, it's trying at least to focus on sites that are known entities for violations. Uh, whether or not that's how it gets applied is a totally different matter. And of course, through the process of debating this legislation, there may be more um, amendments added to it that change it dramatically. Uh, moving on, though, besides ISPs, uh, the Act also gives copyright owners the uh, the recourse to go after search engines and financial institutions and advertising agencies. Uh, search engines, the, the deal is that uh, if you're the copyright holder, you can contact Google and Bing and Yahoo and all these Bing. other search engines and say, I want you to take down links to this site because it violates my uh, copyright my copyrights. So I want you to go in and remove any links you have to this. Whenever anyone searches for whatever the topic might be, this site cannot appear in search engines. However, with the blacklist, from what I understand, there are ways around it. Um, Jonathan and I talked a long time ago about domain names and how they work and IP addresses. So the thing is, you can... Uh, Let's say YouTube.com is blocked because of copyright violations. But if you know the IP address, um, the series of, of numbers separated by dots that actually tell you where the site is, you should be able to type in that IP address and still get through according to, uh, to one source I, I, I checked. Yeah. Um, uh, partially because they were talking about, um, another security measure that people have been working on called DNSSEC. Yes. Uh, um, which is, uh, the DNS are the domain name servers. Yes. And, uh, these basically are, uh, the system of addressing, uh, sites that go on, on the internet. So that the, the addresses have a, a general location. You can find them. Um, and, uh, the idea being that there is as a, an authoritative, uh, security baked into the DNS with a public key. Mm-hmm. So if somebody tried and this this uh from what I understand would cut down on things like phishing because you could um uh use the the secure site to know for in fact you are at the site that you are trying to get to and not some uh ingeniously designed copy of that and DNSSEC uh would be uh somewhat hamstrung by uh SOPA if it were to go through and uh and DNSSEC is actually something that people have been working on for quite some time and would be a more effective security solution. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the people who have been working on SOPA are, are trying to get this done more quickly. And I think that's probably part of the reason that, um, there are so many holes in it. Yeah. And as for the financial institutions and advertising, as you probably have guessed based upon the ISPs and search engines, same sort of thing. Uh, copyright holder can go to, 
a uh, things p- organizations like PayPal or the credit card companies and say this site, this foreign site, is violating our intellectual property rights. So you need to cut off any payments from the United States to those sites. Mm-hmm. And again, those organizations will have five days to respond before the courts get involved. Uh, and same thing with the web advertising where you'd say, you know, you're, you're serving up ads on this site, which is giving the site its owner income, uh, cut it out. Mm-hmm. And again, five days to respond, uh, reasonably anyway, and then, uh, and then cut off again. So that's a very, very short time to deal with yeah, this kind of thing, from and especially getting- with Getting the getting the information, getting the order, and then having to turn around and 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 figure out your response. I mean, especially if you want to truly have due diligence and make sure that the site that's being targeted does indeed um, violate intellectual property rights, and that that is the intent of the site. Because uh, one of the concerns that I've seen repeatedly around the internet is that that. ISPs might even take this as an opportunity to shut down sites that have competing like uh, content on them from, mm-hmm. from because this is the complication we have where certain internet service providers are also content providers. Mm-hmm. Now, when you when you have both in one entity, there's a conflict of interest there, and I don't think you can get around that. I mean, you're the person who owns all the pipes and you're the person who owns some of the stuff that goes in the pipes. That's complicated because it means your content is competing with other companies' content. Some people are worried that ISPs might be able to use this to cut off access to competitor content so that they lock in users to one specific umbrella of content. Mm-hmm. And they do so with immunity because it's built into the act. As long as they can somehow show that this stems from an order they received from an intellectual property rights holder, they're, they're in the clear. So that's scary because it means that if you have ISP A and the content you really want to access was not made by ISP A but was made by ISP B, you might not have access to that content because of this, this this legal uh, safety net that the that SOPA provides. Now, that's again not the purpose of the legislation, and it may turn come to pass if this legislation is actually approved and passes uh, and turns into law. Uh, it may turn out that no one ever abuses it in such a way. But there are people who are a worry, very much worried about the potential. For it to be abused like that. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this this legislation was uh, um, announced on October twenty sixth, I believe, of two thousand eleven. Yes. Shortly mm-hmm. before, well, about three or four weeks before we recorded this, um, and uh, at first, people weren't really picking up on it um, until uh, some outlets started uh, publicizing, drawing attention to this legislation. Now. Um, just recently, again, right before we recorded this, uh, many American sites had what they were calling American Censorship Day. Yes. So you would you would show up on the website, and there would be a message about how the site was blocked, um, and then essentially a dialogue on, "Hey, this is what could happen if this uh, this goes through." And some companies had put a censored bar over their logo. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was reading on uh, on the Next Web that. Um, 
one of the sites affected by this was the blogging site Tumblr. Yes, that's actually a major site that is that people are very concerned would be affected by things like Protect IP and SOPA. Yeah, well, anything anything like um, a blogging site, uh, photo sharing sites like uh, like Flickr, right? Um, uh, video sharing sites, Vimeo or YouTube yep. or anything, Etsy even, which is a, a place where people make crafts. But uh, a lot of times people uh, will knit things or make things that include logos or yeah, designs stuff. and things like that. Um, anything like this where there are thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people submitting content that could infringe a copyright is, is you know, a likely target. Facebook, uh, any any kind of social sites. Um, so uh, Tumblr was one of them, and they actually asked people who are visiting their site to call their United States representatives to let them know what they thought about SOPA. And according to the next web, um, 87,834 calls were generated as the result of that effort. <coughs> so that's a particularly large number of people that they were able to drive uh to the representatives. And I think um, generally what I, I heard was that people were uh, really concerned because SOPA seemed to have an overwhelming level of support um, in the House of Representatives. But at this point, it, I think they have gotten a lot of feedback and are starting to have second thoughts about it. So it, it seemed like a, a go at the very first when I first heard about it. And now it seems like the enthusiasm is maybe not uh, – it's not over with completely, yeah. but it, it is, it's flagging somewhat due to the response from, uh, you know, now that people are aware of it, um, and calling their representatives to let them know. Sure. And, and part of this was due to the fact that, I mean, you can't get around it due to the fact you got to follow the money, right? Yeah. So it turns out that these organizations like the MPAA and the RIAA and, Mm-hmm. Other similar organizations, the pharmaceutical industry is another one because they're very much concerned with counterfeit drugs, which, mm-hmm. you know, again, legitimate concern. Yeah. Uh, but they pour a lot of money into political campaigns. Um, and so there is also this perception of perhaps politicians are acting, uh, on behalf of the interest of these parties, partly because they get so much campaign money from these, the sources. Mm-hmm. So. You get, you know, people, some people will just come out right out and say, you know, they'll accuse the government of kowtowing to these, these organizations because they're getting paid. So right. essentially that the politicians are for sale. Other people don't take quite such a, an extreme stand mm-hmm. and say, this is problematic. If you are getting massive campaign contributions from these sources and your legislation is acting on behalf of these sources, at the very least, there is the appearance that you are doing this in return for money. Sure. Even if that's not what you are doing, you have to keep that in mind that it looks like that and you have to behave accordingly. Yeah. And um, of course, there are other people who just say, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with it. Total separation. I think I think both extremes are kind of a little they have blinders on. Mm-hmm. But I think I do think that there's definitely a problematic issue here. And so you've got other companies like the like Google and Yahoo and, and Microsoft that also contribute money to campaign funds. But that money is a fraction of what the entertainment industry pours into campaign funds. Yeah. So it may have been that the early days of SOPA 
the movement on it was very rapid and very enthusiastic because it was in response to campaign contributors who have a lot of sway. And then other campaign contributors that have a good deal of sway, but not as much, but also have a massive public following started to protest. And that is what has caused everyone to slow down and say, we do need to think about this a little more and make sure that if we pass this legislation, it really does target what we want to target. And again, I mean, I'm known as the person who comes out and just starts screaming about free speech and I go bonkers. But I understand completely the intent of this legislation. And I don't even disagree with it because it does – piracy is a problem it needs to have some sort of solution. I just think this is the wrong way to do it. Yeah, you, you're to clarify, you're not disagreeing that uh, people's intellectual property needs some protection. It's that you're disagreeing with this particular legislation. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think the people who own intellectual property have a reasonable right uh, to expect to be able to profit from that. Mm-hmm. That they shouldn't feel like, oh, well, you know, it's just the nature of intellectual property. People are going to steal it. Oh well. I mean, that's not fair either, because if you take that perspective, then you suddenly remove a huge incentive to generate intellectual property. Yeah. So yeah. so that can hurt innovation, too. If if you tell someone who is an innovative person, hey, that's a great idea. You're never going to see a dime for it because we're all going to steal it. But thank you for thinking it up. That Then people are going to be like, well, I'm just going to stop thinking and start watching reality television. <laughs> but, you know, but if you, you know, at the same time, if you turn around and use the uh, uh, draconian measures to shut down pirates that end up affecting other people in unintended ways, you also shut down innovation because then everyone's scared to do anything. Yeah, that, that is the, the original intended purpose of copyright was to protect the creator for a certain period so that he or she years. – 28 years originally. We're up to 75 now. Less than that. Oh, the first copyright? Yes. I, I always uh, – 14. Oh, was it 14? I thought yes. that was and just it could for be, patents. And it could be extended once. Oh, that's right. That's right. Up to. Yes. And the thing is uh, – the, the thing is it's intended to protect people at the beginning and it expires on purpose so that it can be used to serve the greater good – and, you know, expanded on and, and, and embellished and enhanced later by other people. I think it's, and, and I think it's, pretty, otherwise it would be in perpetuity and we yes. wouldn't be even having this discussion. The I, question is, how long is a fair period of time and that for people fair, to be able to copy? That fair period of time on? has changed dramatically yes, it since has. it was introduced. And Especially in the because, 20th century. Yes. Because of, of, uh, lobbying by intellectual property rights holders. Mm-hmm. You had, uh, had companies that held the rights to certain intellectual properties saying, this is not a fair length of time because it affects our corporation. Corporations are the same as people uh, in the eyes of the law. So therefore, by that estimation, we have to have greater terms for the copyright to, to stay valid. So now it's 75 years from the uh, creation of the work. Yeah. And expect that to be pushed again before too long because a certain mouse is getting older every day. Yes, that's true. So, um, well, it'll be interesting to see with time as people feed back to their, uh, their representatives whether they will go ahead with this legislation or if they have SOPA on the ropes. Nice. Thanks. SOPA on the ropes. Okay. So we're <laughs> just going to, we're just going to end it now. Okay. 
The podcast, I mean. And uh, just this episode. Just this episode. No, we'll see. We still have a couple more recordings we need to do, so I can't lose you just yet. You have a couple of, day, of episodes to redeem yourself. But you guys, if you have any requests for topics that you would like us to cover, or you have any questions about Protect IP or SOPA, uh, let us know. You can send us an email. That address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again, assuming we're not censored, really soon. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.